This is Talk To Me. Your host, Joshua Toomey, bring you epic rants, anecdotes, and interviews with heavy hitters from hardcore A new life to hair metal. This is Talk To Me. All right, guys, welcome into episode 250 of Talk To Me. As always, I'm your host, Joshua Toomey, joined today by the jack of all trades, Tom Hazar. Tom, how you doing? I'm good, brother. How are you? 250. Wow. Right, Congratulations. Yeah. I'm 250? That's yeah. <laughs> it's pretty crazy, what, man, what to hit my, this number. What was my first time on? What was that? I'm going to say 38. Wow. Because I Impressive. think you were at 30. Yeah, you're right in that 37, 36. In a row? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to suck any dick in the parking lot. Um, <laughs> Try not to do any podcasts on your way through the parking lot. <laughs> Well, I mean, actually, that'll just dive right into what we need to talk about first, and that's the uh, fantastic. Is that what this interview's about? Yeah. How many dicks have you sucked, Tom? <laughs> Today? <laughs> I thought you None. said I was only number three. But um, no, man, the uh, the, the Ellison uh, Youth, tell me exactly what it's called. The, uh, the Ellison Youth Music Foundation. I know, it's a mouthful. The uh, fundraiser, the day, the first, the first fundraiser, I think I watched yeah, the seven, seven or eight hours of that. And Nine, wow, really? It, it was well, you're a, a trooper. Man. Well, we had it on in the background. I mean, we had it on on the big TV. We watched it in the in the living room, and then when we came over to uh, you know do some uh, quarantine board games, I just threw it on the I just threw it on the uh, laptop. I mean, it, it's funny. I was. I didn't have the list of who was coming up, so every time a new box popped up, it, it felt a lot like the Royal Rumble. Like you never knew who was coming next, and like every <laughs> every once in a while, I'd look over. I'm like, "Oh my God, Alice Cooper's there!" And then, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just like, "What's going on here, man?" It was very well done and very well put together, man. You did a great job on that. And, and you know, it's so funny. All of that, the whole production, the way everybody, it was all skin of my teeth. I mean, I had a schedule. That went out the window 10 minutes in and people would start showing up early. I just start dropping them. And it, it was really cool because we ended up creating, kind of curating these different pockets of conversation. Like, I don't know if you got the Charlie Benante DMC. I did. Like, that was, that cool was awesome. Ever. Like, just sitting there, I, I was just like, and I've heard all the DMC story. He's my friend, but seeing him and Charlie Benante kind of rife off of each other like that and just Charlie was kind together. of fanboying like, off of him too man it was awesome I know it was, it was dope <laughs> I know like two of my favorite bands ever like kind of <laughs> fanboying while I'm just sitting there being a fly on the wall it was pretty but yeah it created some really cool you know and the one we did Friday too was just as awesome man I mean it was D. Snyder Wes Borland um, Mark Tremonti Head from Corn, Satchel from Steel Panther uh, I mean it was, it was Zach Galligan from Gremlins it's so fun because you know, the first one, you know, we had we had Marilyn Gigliotti who played Veronica and Clerks mm -hmm. and Brian O'Halloran who played Dante and uh, Scott Schiaffo, the Chewie's Gum guy, and uh, Ernie O'Donnell who played Rick Darris. We had uh, the Rhett and Link from Good Mythical Morning, you know, huge YouTubers, Drake Bell. And it's kind of cool because he covered all these weird little pockets of my nerdiness, music and pop culture and it, it just kind of, you know, that that always kind of shines through in all this kind of stuff. We do those weird little marriages of 
where the like Zach Galligan's on there and Lou Temple from The Walking Dead and the 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 Corks little Corks reunion we did and it's it's fun when those we you know, worlds sort of commingle a little bit you know. How about Brian O'Hallorhan coming in with the graphics ready to go, man? He was he was great, man. He was <laughs> on it, he was, and he actually saved my ass because a week before, not even like three or four days before, I found out I wasn't gonna be able to do it the way that I had intended. Um, so I had to kind of really call an audible and 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 O'Halloran actually saved my ass because he's been doing his O'Halloran podcast. I him up, I'm like, dude, how are you doing everything? And he kind of told me and. So he actually gave me some really good tips. He was he was on it, man. He was it was so funny. He's such a smartest. He's like, this is called production. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Anything I'm you just, talk I'm about, man, he would flash I up a, a, a still. It was pretty Sorry. awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I'm just glad he said I'm not even supposed to be here today. That like that was it for me. <laughs> I was good. That's all I needed. Yeah, yeah it, was it was great, man. We raised a bunch of money. I think we had like half a million viewers between both events. I mean, obviously we were partnered with the uh, Grammy Music Education Coalition, a wonderful organization who supported us wholeheartedly. They broadcasted on their Twitch channel, which obviously having that Grammy name attached brings some extra, you know, street cred, you know, for sure. Yeah, I think when I turned it on, maybe like Elias from Nonpoint was on and then, you know, uh, you know, Mark, um, you know, Mark Rizzo, I believe was on. All, yeah, I, Elias, I think- Mark. Yeah, and then I think I watched it all the way through till about right after the clerks thing. I think it's about about when I checked out. But man, it was just it was just so well done, and like you said, the 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 DMC Charlie Benante stuff, just them kind of bouncing off each other, and they were both at the same shows in the '80s, and you know, and then Anthrax guys were going to see Run DMC and blah blah blah. It was it was a really really well done thing. And it, it, is it still out there for people to check out? Is it still up on it YouTube is, and exactly. stuff? Yeah, it's actually on David. I think they're all of them are on David's YouTube. The first one, like it, it was nine and a half hours long. You can only stream for eight hours, so it stopped and we had to start over. But yeah, so they're both on David's YouTube. I think it's just YouTube.com/slash David Ellison, and yeah, I think it might even be on the David Ellison Youth Music Foundation, the Grammy Music Education Coalition. I, I think it's on a bunch of different YouTube channels. But yeah, most of David's would be the place I'd tell people to go. I know it's there because I just looked at it this morning. <laughs> And I think of all the, it seems like a lot of people are going to the internet right now. ESPN's doing some stuff, and you know a lot of different a lot of different channels are doing things online. But I think honestly, of all the things I've seen people trying to accomplish from home, that might be the best thing I've seen so far. Wow, thank you. That's a hell. Of a, well, here's the, here's the thing. Going into it, you know, tech wise, I, I was like, God, it just feels like kind of amateurish. I mean, look, usually when Twitch streamers that do these really big fancy things with real fancy overlays. And and then I'm, I started watching like the network shows and the clips from Conan and Jimmy Kimmel. And that's what they're all doing. They're all just doing WebEx from home. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's what they're doing. So I'm like, look, if this is what they're doing on network TV, I'm not going to worry about the tech side of it. It'll be on par with what everybody else is doing. I'm going to worry about just putting together these great conversational situations and creating just a, a, a great evening of content that's just going to engage people and be exciting and fun. And I think we succeeded at that. That was really, as you know, the kind of the, the, the puppet master producer of, of the thing. I mean, that was kind of all I was going for in the end. I just really wanted to put on something that, and so many people said I intended to watch for 10 minutes and ended up getting sucked in for eight hours. I mean, that's a huge compliment man so many people said man i watched seven eight hours of it i'm like holy shit really i mean i I was impressed david too david it's so funny because originally i had it scheduled like i was kind of stuck there for the whole thing 
David was supposed to come in and out in some chunks. And he'd be in there pretty much the whole time, too, the whole nine and a half hours. We both just were, it was so much fun, neither of us could leave. He just stayed. You know, there's a couple minutes, like during, you know, a couple minutes he tagged out. And I, I actually, I think during that DMC Troy Benante thing, which was awesome because that's way more my nerd category anyway than David's, you know what I mean? So, but yeah, I mean, like he pretty much, and he, he, he was a trooper. He stayed for the whole damn thing pretty much, too. Yeah, it was good stuff, man. It's funny, the, uh, a lot of the sports talk radio and stuff I've been listening to, they've been trying to start to do their broadcast from home too. And I think it's funny that a lot of my podcasting friends sound better than these multi-million dollar corporations that are trying to all of a sudden have to work from home. And uh, I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny that people are kind of having to catch up with us now. No, that's it. And like I said, I mean, I just kind of upgrade. Look, when all this was going down, I mean, I, I saw in the beginning, I'm like, me and David are in the middle of making a record, and when this thing was coming up, I upgraded all my stuff at home. I'm like, look, I have to do so many interviews. I do a lot of radio stuff, and we're doing a lot of that thing. So I upgraded my my webcam, and I I, I got a, a beautiful audio setup. Samson gave me some stuff. I got some beautiful road stuff. I kind of, you know, I, I like like I said, I got my mics. I got my audio upgrade. I got my Monster Energy fridge. I mean, I literally <laughs> have everything I need to function in this room and in this space without really leaving the house. So it's it's great. But yeah, I did. I kind of really upgraded everything. Cisco gave gave us, we actually just got a huge technology grant from Cisco, which is amazing. I literally, I think it's almost a million dollars for the foundation. Um, yeah, so we, we've been using, so we, we launched what, what, so basically these fundraisers were for the foundation, but specifically the Schools Out initiative, which you know, I called David one day and I said, you know what? I have an idea. Why don't you start doing some le- – and this was right when the quarantine first lockdown happened. I'm like, why don't you do some lessons for kids? These kids are stuck at home. It's like, yeah, I could do a couple. And we, I hit up the Grammy Music Education Coalition people, and they loved it. And then kind of through that, we kind of came pretty quickly to why don't we call a bunch of people and get so we called Kiko and Dirk and Frank Bello and Nita Strauss and – you know, uh, and, and, and just a bunch of our, a bunch of our, a bunch of our friends, Bumblefoot. And when we just kind of hit them up and said, Hey, would you want to do some free lessons for kids at home? And that turned into doing it on WebEx and it turned into talking to Cisco. And now they gave us a million dollars worth of Cisco accounts and technology. And th- this, you know, they, they gave us a bunch of their room kits and, and a bunch of their like video conferencing terminals for the, for the instructors and, and it turned into more people, you know, Daniel D. Los Reyes from the Zach Brown band. He just kind of signed on as an instructor, like more and more people are reaching out the other day, Tommy vexed and, and Kyle from bad wolves, you know, a bunch people just keep reaching out to us, wanting to get involved with it and get, get down. And it, and it's so great, man, because it's such a rewarding thing. And I'm just kind of getting into setting up the lessons. We've been starting to Chris Kale from five figure death punch. I would do. There's so many people involved in this thing. Clint from seven dust. And, and it's been so great, man. It's so rewarding to give kids something to look forward to. They're stuck at home. I mean, it's not not even just musically, but it, it really it feels like we're, you know, we're helping to inspire the next generation of musicians and rock stars and, you know, getting p- kids to pick up a guitar instead of a PlayStation controller, you know? Yeah, it's a, definitely a tough thing to, to, you know, the younger generation now with so many things they can pull up on their laptop and they can be the next Skrillex and the next Diplo and all that stuff with a couple of pushes of a button. Um, oh yeah. For, for oh, the- yeah dude, my, my kid, my kid just one day, like two weeks ago goes, dad, I, I put a couple songs on SoundCloud. Do you want to hear them? I'm like, what? She sends me these amazing hip hop <laughs> songs. 
that she'd recorded on an iPad in her closet and put on SoundCloud. And, and like my kids spitting hot fire, like Dylon. <laughs> like it's amazing. I was like, holy shit. And she could always sing and she's always been musically inclined. But it's like the things kids can do, it's fucking mind blowing. I mean, out of nowhere, my kid's a rapper. I'm like, I did not know that. <laughs> that is super dope. Good, well played, Riley. Good Find job. on SoundCloud. Yeah, good job, baby. Yeah, Sorry, the, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's just, but the, you know, sitting down and learning to play an instrument, actual guitar, actual bass, actual drums, it's, you know, it's not a uh, overnight thing. And I think with the instant gratification culture that we're kind of in, you know, you kind of got to, you, you got to really, really want to play guitar, play bass, play drums. And, uh, you know, so, so Dave and you guys putting all this together for, for them to, you know, get online with their heroes and, learn from one-on-one -on -one, uh you know lessons with those guys is a pretty amazing thing i would have killed to have that in the uh you know in the oh, me 80s too. and 90s me too. oh me too nothing like that existed when the technology didn't i mean again when we were kids all these guys were on this giant pedestal you know what i mean and now there's just so much more access and and again i think me and david are always kind of at the forefront of that fan interaction thing and you know david's always kind of like the 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 fan friendly face of Megadeth. And, and we, I think we, we've always been kind of at the front line of that with meeting, meeting his fans. And now our fans, as we got into doing the band together and doing the stuff and, you know, he's always really been at the forefront of that fan interaction and, and just being, just being a cool dude, man. That's why everybody loves David so much. That's why I love David so much. Cause I call him with these crazy fucking ideas <laughs> and he goes, yeah, let's do that. You know? And most people wouldn't, most people are like, you know, why, why would I want to do that? You know, and David's like, absolutely. You know, we just put out our new single and simple truth. And, and we actually wrote it. We were on tour in Europe and we did our rehearsals in a, so half of our band, our guitar player, Andy Martin, Jelly and our drummer, Paolo are from Italy. So half of our, we did like eight shows in Italy and, and we did our rehearsals in Milan. And, and that day I was like, dude, let's write a song. We'd been kind of working on something. Like, dude, let's write a song in rehearsal today. And we did. And we started jamming on a riff David had. And within 10 minutes, we wrote Simple Truth. And, and uh, Andy went home. We, we recorded on David's iPhone. And then Andy went home, kind of tracked it out, mapped it out. You know, David laid his face down. I went into the Platinum Underground in Phoenix and did the vocals. And it was, it was done. And it turned out great. But as we were you know, kind of putting a plan together to put it out, I was like, look, we recorded it in Italy. It was written in Italy. Half of our band's from Italy. You know, why don't we do something? Why don't we take the money and give it to some cool you know, charity on the front lines of the COVID-19 thing in Italy? And that was when everything was really bad, and Italy was like ground zero for the whole thing. So we decided to give all the proceeds from the single to the Italian Red Cross and their COVID-19 relief efforts. And, and and we've been doing that, you know, the money as it comes in we're making little donations and, and it's been really again it's really rewarding it's not a fortune but again i just feel like if more people just where they can help a little bit here and there it all adds up you know you know the the simple truth track you know i was talking to you the other day about it with the uh you know just Dave, you know david's killer bass line to start it out yeah. and even throughout the whole thing he's doing these like just little tasty lines that um I know. you know in the last probably about two weeks I've really sat down with David's playing and like attempted to play David Ellison Megadeth bass lines. And, oh, yeah. and I've grown up, you know, I grew up playing Jason Newstead bass lines and Cliff Burton bass lines and, and a little bit of, a little bit of Megadeth, but not a ton, but I'm just like, where does he come up with some of the stuff? Like some of the stuff that he does, like it just doesn't even make sense, but it sounds so good. Yeah, people don't realize, like, look, I love Cliff, I love Jason, they're two of my favorite bass players, but David's just always been on a, a different level, even even Simple Truth, like, I don't know if you saw this, but, so, 
David put up this playthrough and, and, and a bunch of our friends were doing play raw from suicidal, put up a playthrough yesterday of him doing simple truth. And then today, Ricky Bonazza from the butcher boy sends me and he goes, dude, you're, you know what I mean? We were kind of joking around and David just kind of challenged some of our friends to do a playthrough of simple truth. And it's super awesome. man. watching raw from suicidal play, play our song. I mean, it's, it's surreal and it's, but just the way he plays, cause it's so different. He's like, this funky finger player yeah. and, and it's so cool just watching and, and Ricky's kind of the same way. And I think Kyle from the bad wolves is doing one. A bunch of guys reached out. Fans are starting to do it now, but it's so cool seeing these different people that, you know, were influenced by David and, and, and love and respect him as a player, but they have totally different styles of bass than he does playing that song. It's really, really interesting and cool, man. And since you've been doing the, the vocal stuff for, you know, the Ellison project and however you want to call it. But the, you know, you've, you've, you've been in the music industry for, for God knows how long. Um, have you had people kind of reaching out to you like then like, when, where, where, you know, where was that this whole time, man? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like you know, people who've worked with me as a producer and stuff know I sing and I always did. And I've always kind of sang in cover bands for fun and done and done fun shit. But yeah, a lot of people are like, Oh, you know, cause again, like, you know, you get in a band with David Ellison, you need to, you know, not a lot of people, I don't think, not to toot my horn, but it's not an easy thing to just jump in at the top level and just do it. You know right. what I mean? And so I think that kind of catches people off guard. And look, and Vultures and Hammer were cool. I mean, look, Hammer Comes Down was in the Devil's Dozen on, on Liquid Metal for like a month. I mean, again, that that stuff, you know, I mean, Sleeping Giants debuted on like 13 Billboard charts. And it was cool. But this new stuff we're doing, man, it's just a whole other level. I mean, look, this is us really writing a record together that was we kind of you know vultures we wrote in 10 minutes and and just kind of it was kind of the same thing let's go jam and write a song originally we were going to just put it out with the book as a digital download and that transferred from, from doing one song like that to doing a few songs like that to doing a whole record to a double lp cd you know full release which is what sleeping giants became but again that was just kind of scratching the surface there was a couple old songs david had that i kind of chopped up and kind of put Frankenstein to put back together and wrote some vocals over me and DMC obviously did the vocals on sleeping giants together. Eric AK did some stuff with me on hammer and Mark Tremonti and Chris Poland and Dave McClain. And I, I mean, it really, it was that record's awesome. Really the people got to play on it and get involved. But this, this is really a band, man. This is the four of us. This is me, David, Andy, and Paolo writing a record together. And it sounds like it, you know what I mean? It's just a totally different, and me again, I, I mean, I feel like simple truth is a huge step up from vultures and, and, and the stuff we did on, on sleeping giants and, and, and the new stuff we have even since then is even a step up from simple truth. I mean, we wrote that last year and recorded it, you know, basically, you know, some of it, you know, earlier this year and last year, and it was written in a different period. And now we've kind of gotten to know each other as players and writers. And now we're really writing a serious fucking record. And it's, it's incredible. And then the cool thing is, and people have said this about S simple truth. It's like, it doesn't sound like Megadeth, but it showcases David and it's close enough that people like Megadeth dig it. I mean, it kind of draws more from the Rob zombie ministry prong mm -hmm. sort of feel, I think, you know what I mean? But at the same time, you know, it's definitely identifiable as David and has kind of that cool punk rock vibe. But it's, you know, again, it's not uh, some totally left field thing from what Megadeth does. I mean, it's good, solid, straightforward, hard rock. And, you know, fans who like Rob Zombie and Ministry and, and the stuff that I think Simple Truth is maybe a little Manson stuff that Simple Truth is a little more in, in line with. 
they like Megadeth too. You know what I mean? So it's not like it's this way left field thing that Megadeth fans can't dig to. I mean, honestly, I think it's right in that pocket. But again, it really showcases David's playing, which to me, when you're in a band with one of the greatest bass players in the history of the fucking world, it better, you know, it better be bass centric. But at the same time, it's not wanky where it doesn't serve the song. We, we're finding ways to really showcase David and, and, and his cool style, but without making the songs wank fast too, which is just as important, you know? Right. Well, I mean, even like a baseline, like even the, 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 the main riffs of like wake up dead, you know, that's a pretty simple baseline, but it's a fucking, um, memorable baseline enough to be like, man, that just sounds awesome. Just like the, just the kind of, you know, writing the notes and stuff. I mean, all those songs now, I mean, like I've, you know, I, you know, so I've been touring with David for a year and a half now. I mean, and we do the Megadeth stuff. We did the Mega Cruise, which was amazing. I'm sure you know, but Mustaine couldn't go on the Mega Cruise because of his cancer, and he was just getting over everything. So uh, Larry Miranda invited us to go play. So we did our set, and then Kiko and Dirk jumped up and each played a song with us at the end. And, I mean, it was amazing. But I, I have so much intimate knowledge of those songs now and playing them and looking over and seeing David and playing his parts and so much more familiarity with the songs and how complex they were and Gar's playing and Chris is playing and Marty's playing and Nick's. And I mean, they were just, just phenomenal writers and phenomenal players. And Mustaine is, you know, I mean, again, Mustaine's a fucking God and writes these incredible songs and, and David and, and all those guys I just mentioned all put these really cool, crazy things into it. And I, there's nothing like it. And being able to play those songs and pay tribute to those songs. I mean, I'll tell you what, the Mega Cruise thing was a little nerve wracking. I mean, it was amazing. But, you know, Megadeth Management was there and, and Mustaine's daughter, Electra, was there. And I mean, it was just, you know, no pressure. You know, but she actually, she came up to me after and was like, man, she was like, that was so so great you know it's so you know thank you so much for doing this for my family and, and and doing this cool tribute to my dad and again so it, that meant a lot you know what i mean it's like like i don't ever want to step on megadeth toes or you know what i mean it's like look that's a part of david's legacy and we address that in some of the stuff we do but for the most part this is its own band its own thing and david's a great writer man david wrote some of the greatest stuff i mean so you know, david named countdown to extinction david wrote you know, so far so good. So what's like my favorite Megadeth record? I mean, David's written some of my favorite Megadeth tunes. And again, he's a great writer and he's always never really gotten to showcase that. And that's what's so great about this is we really get to showcase David as a writer and, and, and just how brilliant he is. You know, it's awesome. He's awesome in Megadeth, but it's cool to kind of rip him away from the shadow and the stain a little bit and let the light shine on him and really show what he can do. You know what I mean? I'm so proud to be able to be a part of that. Yeah, and I think since the last time you and I spoke, you know, this is you did a majority of the touring after that. So I mean, is this the most All extensive uh, traveling you've done? You know, even uh, just just as as a civilian. Oh yeah, I mean, look, we did last year. We did. I mean, we toured in the U.S. for four months. The book came out last year. Sleeping Giants came out last year. The book, you know, was a Amazon bestseller. We sold out of the first pressing and like first printing and like a a week and a half or something crazy. And yeah, so we toured, we did a book tour. We did a bunch of FYE signings, a bunch of stuff. And we toured a bunch in the U S we did some West coast stuff with Chris Poland, which was amazing. Yeah. Then we went to Europe. We did a couple shows in the UK. We did that show with KK Downing and Les Binks and Ripper Owens, that more live with death show that. So basically, uh, blaze Bailey opened then me and David and our band did our set. And then David, Les Binks, Ripper, KK and AJ Mills, 
did a preset and then at the end i went up and me and ripper did two songs together for the encore it was fucking amazing man it was packed and again a lot of people were calling it the gig of the year you know burn magazine in japan was there they did a huge feature on it there's another huge feature in the new metal hammer that just came out in japan which is awesome man i can i can say like look i'm huge in japan you know (laughs) it's cool though you know but we're actually supposed to be in australia and japan this month uh, with Chris Poland, actually, who was going to basically Chris was going to open. I'm doing double duty. So I've actually been singing for Chris and we've been writing some stuff together to put some stuff out. And uh, so I was going to do double duty, sing for Chris. And then Chris was going to come up with us and our set and do a couple songs in the end. And but yeah, obviously now that got pushed back to next year. And so we're just kind of pivoting and, and, and figuring out how to stay active and busy and, and, and keep stuff moving forward, you know, and we have so. Yeah, it's funny <laughs> looking at podcast download numbers. Actually, Tokyo for some reason is always very high up in the in the charts. So, so you and I both huge in uh, Japan. That's awesome. That's awesome. You yeah, know, dude, this Metal Hammer. It's so cool. They just literally it's issue number one of Metal Hammer Japan, and there's a huge like three four page spread. It's like Ellison, and then there's the picture of me and David. It's like yes. <laughs> in that Burn Magazine article, there's you know a bunch of pictures of me and Dave on stage, and it's like, it feels cool, man. It feels cool to be. You know, to get that kind of acknowledgement. And again, it's, it, you know, it's so funny. I spent my whole life avoiding being a musician. Look, a lot of shit's changed since we started doing this. Since I started, when I started doing this, if you weren't under 20, if you were over 28, I'd lie about your age. You, you, if you weren't skinny, you, they'd, you know, hire you a trainer and tell you, to, tell you to go get, you know, a lap band. You know, it's a different thing, man. You know, 20 years ago, you couldn't really be a big guy in your forties and, and go be a rock star. You know what I mean? Yeah. Shit's changed. Now all the rock stars are over 40 and big guys, you know, I'm, I'm one of the younger guys I end up doing shit with, you know what I mean? And it's cool. You know, <laughs> So there's a lot to change. The aesthetics of this business have changed as it's become more independent and less controlled by major labels. And, you know, it, it, I think it's just opened a lot of doors and we, I think rock and metal, has gotten a little older and, and the landscape has changed a little bit too, as some of these guys that are legends, just, they get a little older, but they're keep, you know, again, we were talking about a great, the Testament record is and dystopia was amazing. And metallic hardwired was amazing. And you now these bands are in their fifties, sixties now just killing it, you know? So, Hey, I can be 45 and pull it off. What is that? Yeah, that was a uh, notification. Um, the ah, you know I it's, thought somebody was playing a trumpet. <laughs> no, it was. Uh, you know it's funny you're talking about that. When when I joined Primer Fifty Five, I was twenty three, and so the band broke up pretty pretty quick after that. And I was like, man, I was like, it's over, it's done, I'm done. Because I figured if I was twenty three at that time, if I started something new, it would take three years. You know, from from ground up. I was like, by then I'll be 26, 27, and I'll be too old. And it's funny well, now. You know what's so funny? Nobody, nobody knows this. When when Switch got signed, Joe Shiggle was in his fucking late 30s, I think. And, and they made us lie and tell everybody in the press he was like 27. You know, that, and that's literally how it was. Like, you know what I mean? If you were five pounds overweight, they'd be like, oh, my God, you have to get a personal trainer. If you're over 28. And there was a lot of guys like that. There were older guys, and they had to lie about their age. You know what I mean? It's and I, I, I don't remember how old Joe was. He might have been in his early 30s, but he was definitely older than 27, you know, or 26. Or yeah, yeah. Just so ridiculous to think that, you know, they basically were forced by the labels to lie about, <laughs> you know, about his age. Like, how 
fucking ridiculous. It's so funny to look. And again, but I, I kind of avoided, I just never really wanted to be on this side of it. I, I always, you know, I like writing music. I like writing songs and I've always been a lyricist. So it wasn't a stretch for me to jump in. I've been writing songs and lyrics for other bands that I produced for 20 years, but so it really wasn't a stretch for me to jump in and do that. But I just never, I just never really wanted to, I guess it took the right situation, which apparently it took the guy from Megadeth, who was my idol when I was a kid to go, Hey, let's be in a band together to do it. So I guess that's, if you're asking what it took, that's what it takes, I guess. <laughs> was it uh, was it rough trying to run all of the you know the EMP label and and everything yeah. that you kind of oversee while you were out there doing that stuff? Oh yeah, it was a bitch. You know, it was a bitch. But again, that's the great thing is it's kind of mobile. And look, I mean, honestly, the last year or two we've been kind of scaling back EMP. We have combat, and we've been doing more with combat. But again, the, the the record business is getting less and less viable, and we've been kind of focusing more on you know, less titles, less releases, and, and, and just sort of focusing on the bigger stuff. Look, our biggest release last year was our record. You know what I mean? So it's like I've just been kind of spacing out my releases and my schedule so I'm home when stuff comes out or before. But, yeah, it's kind of a bitch, man, especially now the uh, – I'm mean, like, now the business, who knows? You know what I mean? It's like there's no record stores. I mean, everything's closed and – you know, who knows? So, I mean, the record business isn't, it was actually kind of fortuitous because again, I think as labels are getting less and less viable, at least in a traditional sense, like ours are, you know, this other stuff was coming up and these other avenues. And so yeah, look, we still have the labels. We're still doing stuff. You know, again, we've been kind of focused a little more on coming. I just did a deal today with the, uh, the rock and roll residency guys, I guess I oh, nice. shouldn't announce it yet, but whatever. <laughs> I just, I, I, but it's pretty much done. So I think we're going to put out a, a, they have an EP that they wrote, you know, and it's awesome stuff. And I think we're going to put that out. But, you know, right now, I mean, again, we're clearly focusing more on digital stuff. And, you know, we just did out, uh, we have a record coming out Friday, a band called They Might Be Zombies that are awesome from Florida and Matt will Matt will plant who did nonpoint and he's worked for Bueller Brothers produced it. And it's, it's a hard rock record. And, you know, we have, you know, weird stuff like my buddy Andre Como, who was in Rain Dance, and he was in the first season of The Real World. He has a new EP, and we're putting that out. And Jeff Duncan from Armored Saint. And, you know, again, we've just been uh, Chris. We just did the Chris Poland Return to Metalopolis reissue. You know, I mean, like it's the physical stuff's a little bit of a mess. It, it it already was, and now it's even. You know what I mean? But again, we've been kind of shifting the focus to a little more digital stuff, and. You know, basically the label wound down a little bit in, into a little more manageable state as that stuff ramped up. And I kind of had to figure out how to juxtapose, juxtaposition those two facets of my life in a way that they both worked. And I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> I believe it was you that was posting uh, you couldn't find a Diet Mountain Dew on tour. Was that you? I was so pissed. It was horrible. It was in Europe. Okay, in Europe, the only beverages they have. Okay. In London, I found one place that had Diet Mountain Dew. And it wasn't even Diet Mountain Dew. It was basically, now in America, they've released Mountain Dew Zero. Yeah. Zero Sugar, I think it is. And basically, so that was basically the equivalent of that. I think they put it out in Europe first, at least in England. I found it in London. One little convenience store across from our hotel in London had it. But seriously, it's not even just Diet Mountain Dew. All across Italy, the only drinks they have, Diet Coke is. Diet Coke and Coke Zero are the only two soft drinks in the entire country. It's water, Monster, and not sugar-free Monster, and the ones I can drink, just regular green-ass Monster. <laughs> Diet Coke and Coke Zero and Coke. That's it. Anywhere. 
That's the only beverage. And not, it's not like a convenience store here, you walk in, they have 30. Nope, you have no options. You have Coke, Coke Zero, and Coke and water. Some places just water. Sometimes they don't even have, sometimes it's had Coke and water, no Diet Coke at all. It's just frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not a place for someone who has a, has a taste for a variety of beverages. Well, yeah, I, I was, the wife asked me the other day, you know, how, because I drink Diet Mountain Dew all the time. She's like, you know, how long have you been drinking that? And I told her, I was like, you know what? Since about 2004, I've probably had one a day at least. No. <laughs> well, I have like, I have like three sitting on my desk since yeah. I woke up. And they're all half empty because I like drink them and then I forget and open <laughs> another one. I also have a monster sitting here. See, I have a variety of beverages. There this, you go. This situation does not present well in Italy. <laughs> well, what else you got going on, man? What else is going on? I mean, you're the uh, one of the hardest working men in metal. So, what's going on? Well, again, we've really been just kind of been focused on the uh, the initiative. I'm actually going to the studio Sunday with with Matt Laplant to go track some vocals for the Ellison record. We got the Simple Truth single out. We actually we actually recorded a Post Malone cover for the record too that is coming out soon. We just kind of got the logistics of that all worked out. So now I can kind of talk about it and dude, it's awesome. I mean, it's mind blowingly weird, you know, but it's heavy and it's cool. And dude, I'm a huge fan of Posty and, you know, he, he's become a friend of, of me and David and I, I love the guy. He's seriously one of my favorite artists. And it was, it was such an honor to do this song and it turned out so cool. And I just can't wait for people to hear it. So yeah, so we got that coming out. You can actually get a whole, uh, Simple Truth EP on Bandcamp, which has uh, live versions of If You Are God and Vultures from Italy, and then the Max Norman remix of Vultures. And yeah, so it pretty much is that. Working on this this record with David, kind of putting some stuff out here and there, working on the foundation. We actually put up a bunch of eBay auctions today, which is Mark Tremonti gave us a one of his signature Paul Reed Smiths, and Alter Bridge signed it for us. And Select Ahead gave us a couple really cool Megadeth prototype things they did but again just been kind of doing the fundraising thing for the foundation and kind of really focused on setting up all these lessons and pushing the schools out and it, I mean, that's really my entire focus right now a couple a couple record projects a little bit of pr and some stuff to help pay the bills but really again the foundation and the, and the ellison band are really the I'm, I'm on the phone with david like seven hours a day i don't have time to do anything else <laughs> get your facebook page up and we have a mutual friend in lyndon murphy how do you know her um, just from when she was Lennon, <laughs> I think we did some stuff on, on her record a million years ago when she was on Warner brothers or Atlantic, whatever label she was on. And yeah, I don't know. We just kind of, uh, she's not like a BFF or anything, but a, a mild acquaintance from the major label days, but no, she's great. And she's super talented. And I didn't know if she does music stuff anymore, honestly, but I, I loved her record that she did. And she was super talented. Yep. Super cool. I played bass for her for a while too. Oh, did you really? Look at you, Mister <laughs> Fillin. You're like the Fillin guy, right? We need, we need to, we need to get you on a, on a. Oh man, I'm my brain. I got up at like eight o'clock this morning, so you, you, I'm already kind of shut down. <laughs> 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 got to get you over on the X Man podcast. You can talk about all the bands you you were in, right? Yeah, brief- yeah. It's funny. Yeah, I've had Doc on here a couple of times, but I've yet to have the uh, invite to come on his show. Right, come on, Doc. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I love those guys, and those Bad Wolves guys are so cool, and they've been so cool with uh, again with you know reaching out about the uh, 
you know, Tommy Vex reached out personally the other day asking about what he could do, you know, for the school. And we're figuring out a way to kind of work him into it. And Kyle talking to Kyle the other day and he's like, dude, I want to do some lessons. And again, I love those guys, man. I love that band. They're great. And again, it couldn't have, all the success couldn't have happened to nicer guys. David loves them too. They just toured Europe with Megadeth and Five Finger Death Punch. And you know, every interview he does, you know, actually last week, I guess it was two weeks ago now, David went on Eddie Trunk and premiered the new premiered simple truth and again he was raving about the bad wolves guys and i rave about them too man i love them they're great great dudes and such a great great band i i went and saw them open for 500 death punch in madison a couple couple months ago and they did they were just great man. such a great band and again it couldn't happen to nicer guys man tommy's been busting his ass for a lot of those guys doc tommy they've all been busting their asses in trenches for a long time so it's about time good things come their way yeah, when Tommy came through, uh, when he was singing for Westfield Massacre, he uh, he had come on the podcast right before all that happened, and he I, I saw him for a second. Like I walked into the venue, saw him. I was like, "Hey, man, you know, you were on my show, blah blah blah." I had my uh, my my oldest son with me, and at the time, I guess he was probably ten or eleven. And Tommy took us up on the side of the stage, and then at one point, he brought Blake out on stage and like gave him the mic, and and uh, so my son got to hype up the crowd a little bit and stuff. So it was, it was a really cool moment. And uh, you know, it was very cool for him to do that. That's awesome. I love those guys. And I, you know, the other crazy thing is, you know, it's so weird. All these weird things that pop up. So I'm actually now, I've actually been doing some 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 marketing and some dev with this software company in Canada called Imagination Room, and they have a really cool photo app called Pool that sort of like a photo sharing app where you can kind of basically you can send groups of photos to a bunch of people and it's actually and they have another really cool like super encrypted you know messenger app called zero that we've been actually kind of talking to the military and 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 medical fields about implementing there i I mean it's just such a weird crazy journey man these weird little things pop up and i'm like yeah sure i will help you market your software you know (laughs) what i mean you know again it's cool I've, i've i've been doing this for way longer than i'd like to admit and you know you pick up all these different you know, schools of knowledge and, and, and different little bits of how to do things. And, and it's all generally a lot of it is universally applicable to different things, you know, which is which is great. You know, I'm not as useless as I thought I would be at this point in my life. You know, it's like, you know, I'm thinking, well, you're going to work in rock and roll and never be able to do anything else. But look, I found you can kind of transition from the music thing to other more corporate worlds and, and just kind of deftly twist back and forth you know which is which is fun for me you know i'm not a you know i love music i love everything but i've also dabbled in the film business and me and david actually have our ellison films now and we're producing a couple movies and we have a couple other projects and development and you know so again it's a crazy journey you just never know where you're gonna end up i was looking at uh some photos the other day speaking of photo apps i was looking the other day we were at the grocery store and the big you know missing persons wall you know and the one there was one photo that jumped out at me, and it was a photo, and the girl in the photo had the dog ears from like an Instagram photo, and I'm like, that's the picture you're going to use as the missing photo thing. And then, I, and then again today, I saw I was looking at something else, and it was a, uh, it was like two pictures of the same girl, but one of them was you know where they just she had done like super filtered out her face, and I was thinking I was like, man, you really need to at least put one or two actual photos of yourself out there. Or you're going to end up on the you know the missing persons wall with you know dog ears and a and a and a filter yeah. on your face that no one can ever oh, yeah, oh, yeah. figure when, you out. When I end up on the missing persons wall, everybody's going to think I'm like 40 pounds lighter than I am, but that's okay. 
<laughs> right, yeah. Everything's from that MySpace angle kind of up and... Thank you, Angles and Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, the good thing is, like, after this quarantine, everybody's going to be fat. So it kind of worked out. I mean, I mean, again, like, look, everybody's sitting at home eating. That's all there is to do. So, I mean, I'm, I think everybody's just going to kind of, you know. I, I My whole plan this year was, like, I'm going to get in shape, and I'm still planning on it. I kind of wanted to before we went to Japan and Australia. And now it's like, nope, stay home for two months and do nothing but sit on your ass and eat. <laughs> They were talking about the freshman 15, and now you got the COVID-19. So it's, so you're allowed to get 19 pounds heavier. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I got I to gotta remember that. That's yeah, great. Yeah. I'm, I'm already working on probably the COVID-30. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah, it's funny because I'm still working, and I'm like, am I gaining weight? I'm, I'm My daily routine really hasn't changed that much, but I'm like, I'm still gaining weight from the quarantine. I don't know. It's, it's sympathy weight. There it is. That's probably what it is right there. <laughs> so so what, what's new with you, Josh Toomey? You tell me about you. Oh, man. What is new with me? Um, You know, got the second podcast going with, with uh, Ian Wadley of the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. Uh, we, you nice. know, we've, we've been putting that out. And it's a little bit more uh, him and I just kind of debating on uh, albums and things like that. We just did an episode about uh, Deftones' uh, Koi no Yokum um oh, what? did uh did that album and you know we've been throwing out um you know we do suggestions and you know news and topics this is a little bit more of a back and forth opinionated podcast to where this one's always been a little bit more interview based all that good yeah. stuff so but uh yeah but man if you want some if you want some opinions i can give you some I mean, I probably... <laughs> oh man <laughs> i asked ian a question about uh he was from he lived in chicago in the 80s and early 90s and I've been watching that Jordan documentary, the new uh, Bulls documentary. And I was like, you know, what was it like actually being in, you know, Chicago at the time? And he he never, he talked for, I think, 15 minutes and never answered my question. I was just like, all right, so I'm going to ask you again. <laughs> well, the thing that actually, I tell you, the biggest, you know, aside from not being able to go to Australia and Japan, the second biggest thing that pissed me off about the quarantine I actually, one of my buddies, Brandon, works for the Bulls. And uh, you know, once a year, I usually go down and take my kids to a game. And it's awesome. We went down last year. We got to, you know, go shoot court, shoot buckets from half court before the game started and, you know, kind of take players, take pictures at half court. And he actually took us over to the practice facility after and through the offices for the tour. And we got to go shoot hoops in the practice facility. And it, it was awesome. So we were actually supposed to go down to a – to a game, I think on March 28th or something. And obviously right, you know, a week after I, I got the tickets, the, the season got canceled. I'm like, are you kidding? I was pretty, <laughs> pretty mad. I love the bulls and I love that legacy of that bulls team. I mean, I, other than maybe the, the, you know, the, the, the legendary Pistons, man, I don't, and, and maybe the, you know, Celtics in their dynasty years. I mean, again, I don't think there's anything that's ever going to touch that Jordan era legacy of, of the, you know, that Jordan Pippen era Bulls legacy ever, man. I mean, unbelievable. Have you, uh, and to be in that building and see it and feel it, I mean, it's really on, it's really a, a humbling experience as a fan for sure. Have you watched the documentary yet? There's two parts of it I, out. I have not. What's it on? It's ESPN. It's a 10 part, it's a, a, it's a 10 part documentary. They, 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 Jordan and the Bulls in 98 allowed a, a film crew to film them for a, for the entire season and wow. but they never they, but jordan i guess had the final say so on letting this footage out 
and he never okayed it. Like he's been approached year after year after year for it to come out. And I guess finally he saw the rise in Netflix and the, the, you know, the, the, he saw the rise in Netflix, so he let him put it on ESPN. Well, I, I, I think he saw the, the value in a, a, uh, well, it is cool. They said that his, his cut of this is about 3 million and he's putting it all towards, uh, charities, uh, COVID-19 charities. So good man, Jordan. Good man. Good, good times. But yeah, man, they uh, they let him follow him for a year, and uh, they 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 get in pretty deep, man. It's pretty cool to watch, and you know, just even the the you know they kind of start out with Scottie Pippen's contract that he signed in like '91. He signed a seven-year, sixteen million dollar contract, and I was like, God, damn, it's like seven years, sixteen million. So that was the run. You know, they win six championships, yeah. and he got paid sixteen million dollars. I was going to say, you know, that's why that actually seems really low for all the championships they won when he was there. I mean, they're basically two million a year. I mean, yeah. Well, they they even it, brought up at one point because he he holds, I guess that was in the nineties. Yeah, you know, if you adjust it for inflation, it's probably more like you know thirty million, twenty it something. You know? It was actually exactly thirty million because we did the. Uh, I looked it up, um, but it's still. Uh, they were saying that he was like of the all the players. I think he was like. The hundred and fiftieth highest paid player, so he holds out and all this <laughs> stuff. You know, the second best player in the league, and, <laughs> and he's he's all over the place, man. But yeah, it, it was it's cool to go back and watch that stuff. I was telling Ian that that was the time period where I was so focused on music and metal and playing bass and starting a band and all that stuff that sports just was not on my palate. I mean, where it is now, I, I love it, but it's kind of cool to kind of go back and watch it and uh, really enjoy it for what it was. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm from Green Bay, so like the sports is kind of just injected into everything you do, you know. And I've I've always been, you know. I mean, again, you know, I mean, the closest thing to our team was the Bucks, you know what I mean? So it's like the I always kind of gravitated towards the Bulls, and you know, and again, and I had a an affinity for the for the Pistons, kind of in their dynasty era too. But like I've always kind of been a marginal sports guy. I love basketball. I love hockey. I love football. Yeah. So again, it's always, it's always been a, you know, a, a part of my, a part of my DNA too. Again, when you grow up in green Bay, sports are shoved down your throat every minute <laughs> of your life from the minute you're born. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> but yeah, definitely a, de- definitely a huge fan of the bulls and yeah, super bummed. I didn't get to go see him again this year before the season ended, man. It was so close. Yeah. Luckily the, the wife and I, we flew out to San Francisco for one of the Mr. Bungle reunion shows. So, Ooh. so we got to, we got to see that and, um, uh, trying to think who opened for that one. That one was, uh, why am I blinking on it? The, the singers in a wheelchair. Um, I mean, it's a legendary Bay area thrash band. I can't think of the, which one it was, but, uh, but yeah, man, it was, it was pretty awesome. Jamie, plus, you know, seeing Lombardo and even Scotty and playing the, you know, the, the old Mr. Bungle stuff, they didn't really play anything that you would know, but except for the co- couple covers they did, but cause they were yeah. playing like some obscure demo, but man, it was still, it was still pretty amazing to see. And we got to go see Brian Posehn and Scotty in a, at a, uh, at the an Amoeba in store and all that stuff. So, I mean, we, we had a good time, but I mean, they literally shut down the country like a week later. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I got to hang out with Scott and Brian on the mega cruise and, but, but 
Oh, Mr. Bungle. Yeah, dude, I got to see I got to see him like three times on California. They nice. played so I lived in LA and they put like the glass house and they played, I think, at the Troubadour. Uh, they saw I, I saw him two or three times, you know. It was great. When Faith No More did their last run of shows in LA, like I ended up going to see them like two or three times. I've yeah, you know, and dude, the coolest thing was, man, I got to, you know, hang out with Chuck and do that last record with him and and you know, got to see that Faith No More reunion with him in, in LA, which was I mean, one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life, man. I mean, again, getting to see Faith No More reunite with Chuck Mosley at the Troubadour for 300 people and, you know, something nobody will ever see again, man. I'm so glad and honored that I got to be a part, not only a part of Chuck's life, but a part of putting that together. And again, man, it's it's really a lot of these humbling experiences as a music fan, these things I just somehow Forrest gumping my way into being in the middle <laughs> of it. And it's, you know, it's always, you know, maybe, maybe that's what I mean, the Forrest Gump metal. I'll take that. Though. Yeah, I've definitely <laughs> found, you know, it's even in this situation or playing in bands and all this other stuff, man, you just always just find yourself in these very odd, like look around the room and you're like, why am I in here with all of these people? Oh, yeah, all the all the time, all the time. I mean, how do you think I felt when I was on stage with, you know, with K.K. Downing and Les Binks and David Ellison and, you know, and even Ripper Owens, man. I mean, again, it's like, He's the dude Rockstar was based on, and he sang for Judas Priest. And I, you know, I loved his era of Priest, man. And I, I, you know, just being on stage with those guys and looking over, singing, you know, breaking the law or whatever. I, I, I don't, you know, it's, you know, just looking over and I'm like, holy shit, there's KK Downing. <laughs> yeah, we so, definitely, I mean, we've I, definitely I, seen some stuff. Oh yeah, we have, we have, man. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a good time to be alive. So. Hey, now we get now we just get a couple months to sit at home and reflect on all the cool shit we've done and plan the next cool shit we're gonna do. And that's sort of what I've been doing. Absolutely. Yeah, hopefully they'll and actually, uh, do, and actually doing some cool shit in the process while I'm locked at my house. Yeah, I mean, you guys have taken full advantage of this uh, quarantine, and I think that you know you and Dave putting together the uh, Oh, stay can you stream and and all that, man. That's uh like I said, man, the best thing I've seen so far in all of this, all of this nonsense. I did see ESPN did something kind of fun. Uh, they, I think they had six of their. But wasn't as fun as DMC and no, Charlie Benante. No, no, no. no it definitely so. no. That was, you know, actually, uh, Bumblefoot. You know, throwing songs at uh, bands at Bumblefoot, and then him I just know. busting out Queen. We, we used to do that on tour all the time. That was like our tour game. It was like stump the foot. Be like, he's like a human fucking jukebox. It's like, hey, Bumblefoot, play this. The other the other awesome thing, I mean, so Bumblefoot actually came out with us as our you know, guitar player for a while last year in 2018. So, like, we're, we're on tour in a band. Bumblefoot's one of my best friends, and Ron's such a great dude. And, but so, you know, as you know, he played in Guns N' Roses, and it's not a chapter that he really freely gets into a lot. But, I mean, he was there for, like, a decade. And I'm a huge Guns N' Roses fanboy. And I bugged him and bugged him and bugged him and needled him and bugged him until he agreed to play play a Guns N' Roses song with me. And he said, fine, we'll play Mr. Brownstone tomorrow night. So Bumblefoot and David came to my room, and I got to sit and watch Bumblefoot teach David Ellison how to play Mr. Brownstone <laughs> so we could go on stage and play it the next night. And we did, and it was awesome. Nice. And we ended up doing it a bunch more times for the rest of the tour, and then we did that all-star bass story jam in Tampa at the Brass Mug during PBX, and me, David, Head... Dirk, Bumblefoot, Troy Sanders from Mastodon. I mean, it was Jason Beeler. I mean, it was, you know, it was ridiculous. We did this crazy all-star jam. And I, so I got, I had to sing Mr. Brownstone in front of Mike Klink, who produced it, and Symphony Destruction in front of Max Norman, who produced it. No pressure. No pressure. 
No pressure at all. Yeah, and another thing that uh, you guys did the uh, at Rock and Pod, you know, kind of similar thing where where David played with pretty much everybody, the 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 big jam. Um, yeah, you know, and that was a skin of our teeth. So we didn't rehearse any of that. It was just like, here, go up and play. Like, okay, <laughs> fine. Yeah, we did our whole set with backing guys we'd never played with, never jammed with. We did one rehearsal the night before for like two hours, and that was it. Yeah, no, it was fun to and see. There was though, like man. thirty musicians. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you pulled it off, and it was you know cool to hear those you know like those Megadeth deep cuts, and you know the the stuff you guys did too. So. Yeah, I mean, that's what we do. I mean, when we play, like I said, when we, 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 there's a little bit of the Megadeth stuff that we throw in. And again, it's deep cuts that Megadeth doesn't play, like Go to Hell and Hook and Mouth and Liar and weird shit that Megadeth doesn't even play. And, and it's cool, man, because I mean, so many fans have come up to me. And, you know, last year in Detroit, Chuck Bueller came up and played Hook and Mouth and Liar with us in Anarchy. And it was just like, holy shit. You know, but fans, <laughs> fans come up to me after the shows and they go, dude, I've waited my whole life to hear hook and mouth or liar or these songs and they're like yeah, this is like life changing and to me as a fan i respect and that's why we play those songs because i'm like all right fine i will do this but we're playing hook and mouth and liar we're playing all these weird we're playing go to hell we're playing all these obscure deep cuts that i love as a fan so i mean look david singer is a fan and that's why we play these weird fucking deep cuts is because i'm just like no we have to play this and this and this and this <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I have a so far so good sweat poster hanging over my desk. Nice. In shock. <laughs> and an anthrax poster over there. You see how I roll. <laughs> I, I am immersed in this stuff, man. It's like, look, yeah, I'm a musician and a producer and I work in the business, but I'm a fucking fan, first and foremost, oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm a fan. All of these bands I work with, you know, yeah, they're my friends now, but I'm a fan. You know, like I said, seeing Ra from Suicidal play my song yesterday i'm like holy shit that's the guy from suicidal tendencies you know what i mean it's like again i still that's what makes this fun is i i can still fanboy out a little bit here and there and go holy shit well let's uh let's end this one out with the uh the song simple truth man and uh you know just maybe maybe hit us with what the lyrics lyrical content of this and uh man you know, you know it's so this song i mean look there's a couple of different things parts of it actually the chorus and I've never even really talked about this, but the chorus was actually kind of a tribute to Lemmy. Funny enough, I, and I, uh, you know, I worked with Motorhead for a, for, a, for a season with Todd Singerman, and again, one of my favorite bands ever. And, and Lem just lived life like there was no fucking tomorrow, man. And that was always so inspiring to me. And you know, but really, it's a song kind. Of, it's you know, it's kind of a fuck you to all the people that said you'll never do this, you can't do this. I mean, my whole life I've listened to people tell me. I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't do this. And I've done it all and done it bigger and better than I never thought I could. I mean, that's sort of what it is. It's kind of about, you know, following your, your, your dreams. And, and it sounds so cliched and stupid to fucking say it out loud, but I mean, it really is about, you know, just yeah, a big middle finger to the people who say you can't do something and, and, you know, just go out and go out and do it, man, and live your life and live it to the fullest. And look, and there's a little bit of a, you know, I feel like there's a little bit of an, ignorance pandemic in our country and and people believe a lot of really dumb shit without doing the research and again i think people believe the the things that kind of fit their stereotype or fit their narrative that they want it to and and again and, and there's a little bit of that something like all my songs i kind of always write my songs lyrically to be really ambiguous so i mean there's certainly sleeping giants that was kind of pretty outwardly political but i mean again 
I like to leave myself open to interpretation. It's like I'll, I'll kind of, you know, I'll, I'll kind of hand you the map, but I don't want to tell you exactly where you're going, you know? But yeah, I mean, look, there's a couple of different things, but really generally, it really is. I mean, again, like it's, it's, it's really just, and again, it's about people who talk a lot of shit to me. I mean, look, the second verse is, you know, yeah, you know, this the second verse is really kind of more. I, 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 it's about people who just have huge egos and and don't really and they're unwarranted. You know, those kind of fucking local rock stars who talk shit about <laughs> all the stuff they're gonna do and they really don't ever fucking do anything. And you know what I mean? It's like to me, I I, I just I don't like to talk, man. I just like to go do shit. I like to. I'm a man of action. I like to go. Okay, I have this crazy fucking idea, and we're gonna do it tomorrow. And we do. You know what I mean? And I think now with David, I've always been like that. And with David, it's like double you know what i mean where we, we combine and we're kind of like this crazy fucking voltron you know what i mean where we just you know all this you know all this crazy shit just kind of happens and yeah but yeah that so that is sort of in a nutshell what simple truth is about live your life fuck you if you don't like it and just shut up be <laughs> humble be cool you know what i mean it's yeah. like you're not as big of a fucking rock star as you think you are and I know you know some people like that. I know we probably have some mutual acquaintances that kind of fall into that category. And again, you don't know disrespect to anybody. Again, you know, after being around guys like David and Alice Cooper and just KK Downing, these legends of the highest order who have no ego, have no, you know, no, they don't talk down to anybody. They don't act like they're above you. They, I mean, it just makes you, it's a, it's a humbling thing where you go, fuck, well, he has no ego. I certainly shouldn't have any fucking ego. You know what I mean? And again, I think more people should, should be like that, man. I mean, I let go of the ego and, and, and let the art do the talking for you. You know, I've always said on here, man, the easiest people to deal with on this podcast are the biggest names in music. The ones that they'll have the most issue trying to schedule, trying to get them on the phone or whatnot, never made it out of, you know, their, their Midwest or something. You know, it's, it's pretty insane. You know, like even like a David Ellison, man, you know, you say, hey, interviews at 2.30, your phone's ringing at 2.30. You know, I've, I've definitely had some, hey, the interview's at 2.30. And, oh, yeah. you know, the guy's like, oh, I'm not even home yet, you know. I'm like, fuck. I mean, look, I'm, I'm from the Midwest, and I've worked in, you know, again, my whole life, I'm from a small town where everybody likes to talk shit. Everybody wants to be in your business, and, you know, you, you play in a bar and play some covers, and, and you think you're a fucking rock star. And, and people just, again, I just, I've just dealt with so many of these egotistical, drunken fucking buffoons in my life who, again, I talked about this on another podcast the other day about, you know, again, my, my position in this business has always sort of been, propping other people up and I love doing it. It's not something, you know, it's always just been what I do. I, I find bands, I develop them. I basically, in a lot of cases, hand them their entire career on a silver platter. And, and I, and then, you know, I, I received a nominal sum of money in return in most cases, but it's like, you know, people just forget real quick where shit came from. You know what I mean? They do. They forget you know, people like to rewrite history, you know, and, and, and when, once something happens, like a lot of times people are like, oh, well, that was all me. It's like, no, there was a whole team that did that. There was a whole team of people that got you there and got you that. And it's in certain bands. I see this thing, too. You know what I mean? It's like, but but whatever, you know, I mean, again, that's sort of, you know, uh, again, just that mentality of, you know, nobody else did this for me. I did it. It was all me. Fuck you. You know, no, it wasn't. 
you, you know, you had other people writing your songs or managing you or producing you or, you know, bringing you to record labels or doing stuff. Or, I mean, again, it's like every, every, every great band, every huge band. Yep. There's musicians in that band who are awesome. And there's probably one or two main guys that dealt with a lot of it, but there's three or four other guys in that band that are just as instrumental or damn near as instrumental to that. And how many people behind the scenes that were just as instrumental to that? You know what I mean? So again, that's, I don't even know how we got off on this tangent, but yeah. <laughs> it happens, man. Well, Tom, man, thanks for taking the time and uh, make sure everybody goes and supports. Uh, say it one more time. David Ellison Youth. David Ellison Youth Music Foundation.com. There we go. Appreciate it, Tom. Thanks. Awesome, brother. It's so great talking to you. If you need anything else, I'm here. All right, man. I ain't got nowhere to go. I'm in quarantine. <laughs>